back to Leo Roundtable. All right, so if there's now we are starting the two hour, the the rest of the uh, the second half of the two hour show. And if there is nobody else on the last one, we'll move to an update, which I think is uh, an interesting one. We're on policeone.com. And it's kind of an update on some of the stuff that happened at the Capitol riots. Suspect seen beating cop with a hockey stick at the Capitol. He's been arrested. Now it says a Michigan man, Michigan, uh, caught on camera swinging a hockey stick at a law enforcement officer during the Capitol siege. He's been arrested and charged with assault. Federal authorities identified him as Michael Joseph Foy. And the video went viral. He's swinging this hockey stick repeatedly at a D.C. Metropolitan Police officer. Um, and this is at the Arch entryway at the Capitol. So thank God that this guy's been nabbed. And then there's another um, article saying the suspect seen crushing a, a Leo in the doorway of the Capitol. He's been arrested. So Connecticut man, so we're in Connecticut now where this bad guy is, was charged Wednesday with pushing a police officer against a door with a riot shield uh, during the U.S. Capitol riots as the cop was screaming in agony. You know, there's videos with all these titles that I'm mentioning. There's videos with all these. And the, um, yeah, the cop was definitely in discomfort. Um, authorities said that Patrick McAfee, the third, participated in the vicious attack on Metropolitan Police Officer Daniel Hodges. So he's taking the ride now. And then finally, we've got a Houston officer charged in connection to the Capitol attack. Uh, mentioned this, I think, in the prior weeks, but former police officer, and I say former because he resigned, from the Houston Police Department. And there were accusations at the time that he that he illegally entered the U.S. Capitol building with a violent mob. Now he's facing federal charges. Agents say in court records that he deleted photos from his phone of his participation and he lied to the investigators. I think he was talking to the FBI. So not not a smart move. So Tam Pham of Richmond was charged on Tuesday. So that's the way that all that stuff went down. So that's the latest and the greatest as far as that. Now, producer Will, I'm sorry I you didn't get to go earlier, but go ahead, Will. Um, Eddie Leal just donated. Eddie Leal, you know, love that, love that guy. Thank you, Eddie, for supporting the show. Appreciate it. Hey, you know, uh, for the people that are in Tampa, for the Tampa audience, I know that Martin will have to get you down from Chicago, but we'll all, around Super Bowl time, we'll have to, you know, all get together, maybe get Eddie Leal, MVS, or some guys that are around the Tampa area too. Um, we'll have to figure something out, but that would be fun. Uh, Captain just, Brett? Just not jump on the bandwagon, folks. Don't jump on the bandwagon. Don't. <laughs> Captain? Uh, can I? Can I go now, Ron? Is that going to be okay with you? All right. So, wow. yeah, this all. I might want to get up your bidding. Uh, so, uh, the, the the scenario where that where the the policeman is being shoved back against the wall by somebody who has a shield in the and I, I would have shot that guy. I would I would have done my best to put a bullet through that shield and shot that guy because how much closer can you get to getting killed than being in the middle of that mob and somebody shoved somebody's? It's not an accident. It's not the it's not the crowd moving forward. It's a, it is an attempt to control this officer from doing his sworn duties. If I had been that guy, I would have got, I don't know if it's going to be my last day on the job or not, but whatever, I'll still get to go home to my family. I'm going to get my gun out. I'm going to bust a cap right in that guy. If I got to reach around that shield, fine, but I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a hole through that shield and I'm going to get that POS off of me. You know, it, it's curious. I, in reading those articles, I mean, we know who the, who the police officers were, they were identified. And these other two, and probably going to be more than two before this is all over with arrests from the from the Capitol incident, the Capitol riot, whatever they're calling it. Um, who were these guys? I mean, I don't see any any descriptions of I, I, uh, basic descriptions where they were from, maybe a name, um, but but no identification as to who they were. It, it, it strikes me that 
that the media would have probably been very explicit in their description if they had actually been Trump supporters or conservatives or something like that. But there's no description of them in that in that way. It's 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 odd. And I'm just, I was just curious if anybody had any other information or, or knew who they were or what affiliations they might have had or something like that, um, to be exact. But that, that those were odd omissions from those descriptions in those articles. You know, I'm surprised. Speaking of odd, David, I'm surprised that you would even say that because, you know, last week, Attorney Ward submitted a photograph, photo evidence of someone that looked, you know, I just want to know, did exactly. the FBI approach you this, this past week no. and want to know where you were on? No, they, on, they have. No, I, 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 will, the, I will not be able. They will not be able the, to identify me. Don't worry. There's no worries there. They, they will I mean, not the be able to identify beard. me. The guy that looked what, like he had a beard I don't and everything. Care. I don't care what the person in the picture looked like, what he had, what he didn't have. Um, I, I have no affiliation, not involved, wasn't there, <laughs> prove it. Uh, come up with something more than that. That's all I can tell you. They didn't catch yeah. me before. They won't catch me now. Have a nice day. All right. Okay. Martin Pribe. Uh, I would just say that uh, one theme lingering under a lot of the discussion is uh, how do you get reliable uh, coverage of incidents like this? And I would highly recommend a somewhat new media outlet called justthenews.com with John Solomon, who's been doing a lot of investigation into the Capitol Hill riots and uh, addressing a lot of what you just talked about. Uh, who were these guys? Why, why wasn't the law enforcement more prepared? Uh, there were warnings five, six days beforehand by some media accounts that something was going to take place, sort of undermining the narrative or questioning the narrative that this was directly tied to President Trump. Uh, so I would highly recommend it's, it's a tough time we live in to get accurate media. I think the great crisis of our time is the corruption of the media. I, I don't think the police are as corrupt. I don't think they're the problem. I think the, the problem is, uh, is that the media is, is, is become so well, just corrupt. So I, I, I would keep a close eye on just the news with John Solomon, particularly on this story. That's all I'll say. Thank you, Martin. All right, guys, uh, now jump into another video, policeone.com, a Florida woman. You know, no one can beat Florida when it comes to crazy videos like this, unfortunately. But Florida woman runs over a deputy in an attempted getaway. Uh, now, we're in Manatee County. A 23-year-old Bradenton woman is facing attempted murder charges after she ran over, literally ran over a Manatee County Sheriff's deputy with a stolen car. Now, the deputies found the car. It had been involved in a crash earlier, and this is about 11.45 a.m., so just before noon, and it was on a Wednesday. So as they approached the car, uh, Katrina Van Fossen, she deliberately accelerates towards and hits one of the deputies with a vehicle. In fact, he's on the hood, and he's taking a ride. Now, the deputies say that uh, Van Fossen are bad female. She then strikes another patrol car, causes another deputy to be flung to the ground, and um, she's taken into custody, charged with attempted murder. 
And it looks like she, at that point, I thought that she thought she was going to get shot. So she kind of like gave up the, uh, you know, gave up the goods. But the motor vehicle, uh, I guess, charged with uh, attempted murder, motor vehicle theft, fleeing to elude, among other charges. She's still in custody without bond, thank God. The deputy who was struck by the car, he's in good condition with various injuries. Now, she was arrested in November of 2019. So uh, we're talking a little over a year ago on charges that she stole her father's credit cards, spending thousands of dollars on tattoos at an adult nudity club, probably out by where Brent lives at Paradise Lakes. Now, those criminal charges were dropped, though, but she was sued in civil court by her parents. Her parents sue her, and they were awarded more than $15,000 in damages. So you just got to love that story. So. I, the video already shows the officer like in a bad place. It starts out there, and, and I, I'm not sure if there's any other video of it. I just, you know, it's almost like the car is on both sides, plus the SUV that, that's facing her. It looks like an SUV. I mean, he, he either he put himself in a bad way or happenstance is where he wound up. But man, he had very little, you know, very little options in terms of, you know, escape or where he was going to go. I mean, he was in that almost like an alleyway of two parked cars and the static car at the end of the length of those two cars. You know, he, he he's lucky it wasn't a lot worse. It was, um, you know, really unfortunate. But I was wondering if anyone had a, a better video that showed the officer approaching or how it might have looked uh, before the actual footage that we see on the one link that you provided. I've got an article written by Tyson Kilby. And it's, he says, it's, it's titled Five Discussions to Have About Police Use of Force. I'm kind of curious what Brett thinks about this. I'll just do a quick coverage of this. Uh, our author identified five discussions around police use of force that every officer should participate in on a regular basis. Number one, talks, and you know, so much of this, Brett, we actually do. We do deadly force scenario training videos on our on our show. And, uh, you know, if you go to leoroundtable.com, you know, what, what we've got 11 on there under our belts. I need to finish the editing on the new ones that we've done. But number one, video evidence does not tell the entire story. And that's what we always say. Too many civilians and police officers believe that video of use of force incidents is enough to make a judgment about the reasonableness of the force that was used. It's a bunch of uh, it's a hogwash. Number two, complete investigations are required in all cases. It says that not no one piece of evidence is enough to make an informed judgment about a use of force incident. And number three, it says that officers must be trained to unconscious competence. I thought that was an interesting uh, part of the article. The concept of unconscious competence of, of skill performance is critical for how law enforcement officers um how they operate and and how they and, and how you understand this. It says that basically for a skill to be useful, uh, particularly during the stress of a use of force incident, it must be developed to a point at which the officer can perform it with little cognitive thought. So in other words, it's going to become automatic for him because just at the the repetition, perfect practice makes you know, you know, perfect. Um, anything less than this will likely result in an officer being unable to perform when it matters the most. So I thought that that part was interesting. Uh, then we go, the mental rehearsal is imperative, always running over scenarios in your mind, wherever you're at. And then five, before, during, and after every use of force incident, uh, these are critical times. So to truly uh, prepare for a use of force encounter, officers have to be aware of the best practices leading up to the event, uh, during the situation, and then after the scene is contained. So some good stuff. Um, anybody, well, let's see, John Newman, why don't you jump in here on that? Look, I, I thought the article was great, you know, but it, this article is 30 years old, right? We, we learned videos. If we didn't learn back then, we should. Rodney King, that the video doesn't show you everything. That, that, that trial in and of itself was about 
the video only capturing what people thought it was going to capture. The second one, of, you know, that he, he talks about is, oh, my God, complete investigations, right? Let's wait till all the facts come in. And we've always talked about the third one about the, uh, the whole idea of, um, you know, well, look, am I going to go on? Oh, I see it. I see it. I see it. We're going to take a commercial break, guys. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, I want to talk to you. I take this time to kind of inform you guys about the best way to watch the show. So we have a live segment on YouTube, and so it's at 7 o'clock Eastern time every Monday evening. So if you go to our YouTube channel, Leo Roundtable, subscribe to the channel, make sure you have your alerts turned on, you'll get an email notice with a link to watch the show from YouTube, and it's before we do every live show. Now, you can actually converse with us during a live show. We've got a number of guys that are on there right now conversing with us. Now, I'm on there as time permits. I know that Captain Bartlett, he's on there typing the guys right now. Uh, Producer Will is. And then we have, you know, other panelists that do that as well. It makes for a a great way to watch the show. So if you guys uh, get a chance to try that out, please do. So welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. All right, Chief Newman, the floor is yours. All right, so like I said, the very first one, video doesn't tell anything. We talked about it you know, before about Rodney King. I mean, that's the benchmark case about videos not revealing. But it's even more important nowadays with body cam, right? The second, you got to have complete investigations. Stay out of the investigator's way. Let them get to the facts. Third, he calls it you know, unconscious competencies. We called it muscle memory, right? Four, you got to be able to rehearse those things in your head. You have to have scenario-based training. You got to be able to say, if I walk into a store and I robbery is going down, what am I going to do? And a good FTO will do that. And if you're a really good police officer, and David likes the phrase, a student of the game, you're constantly prepared your, yourself mentally scenarios. But the best one is I like number five because we did it. Brett sat on that committee. I sat on the committee. High liability committees. We looked at use of forces. We looked at pursuits. We looked at all these different things that have a wow factor that pegs that needle, and we wanted to know, what were you thinking beforehand? What could we have done better? Why was this situation going from zero to 100, and did we do something as a, as a department to make the situation worse or better? It's a great article, but most law enforcement officers believe in these five things if they've been on the job for the last 20 or 30 years. All right. Good deal. Captain. I, I agree. It's, it's good information, but it, it's been out there before. I mean, he wrapped it up in a nice package, but it, there's nothing new here. Um, going into number three, officers must be trained to unconscious competence. There's four corners to this. There's uh, uh, unconscious incompetence, conscience, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, and unconscious. There's four corners. I may have got it wrong, but what it means is this. You train to the point where you don't have to think about it, the habit is already built into your head. That's a wonderful thing to aspire to, but you know, very typically agencies simply don't do this because it takes time, a lot of effort. Last time I checked, depending on the study you believe, cops still miss 75% of all shots fired in deadly force encounters. So apparently we're not very good at this, and this is not a recent thing. This is pretty standard throughout the years. Um, I was, I'm teaching this week a class to police, new police and new sheriff instructors called uh, General Instructor Techniques. And, and, I, and I say to these guys, these new instructors, don't be surprised if your arms get tired from pushing because you're going to have all these great ideas and you're going to know all this stuff. 
but you're going to get so much pushback. You're just going to, you're just going to get tired of it. Yeah. So I agree with all the stuff in the article, but I don't see anything here that's, that's, uh, that's groundbreaking. Thank you, Captain. Appreciate that. All right, David, you want to close us out on this? I can try, but, it, um, you know, the, the article itself, I think John and Brett covered completely. What I found interesting was at the end of the article, after it, about the author. Th this guy is, is, is fascinating. I mean, um, you go down through, through his, uh, his little bio here, and, you know, uh, uh, he owns Top Firearms Instructions, LLC. He wrote a book called Personal Defense Mastery, another book, Fundamental Handgun Mastery. He's a uh, certified instructor for the Gracie University in Torrance, California. And the one that I like the most is he is a master instructor for the Carotid Restraint Training Institute. Are you kidding me? I didn't know such no. a thing existed. I had to look this up. And lo and behold, wow. lo and behold, it's, it's an organization uh, Police officers, a, a couple of doctors, they get into all sorts of the biology, the psychology, the technique. It was fascinating. And, and to, to look at it, and, uh, and apparently, I guess, somewhere around the country, there must be agencies that still utilize the CRT or whatever it is. And uh, it, it was just fascinating to see this guy write this article that was so... I don't know, past tense, as Brett and John described. And yet you look at his, his all his other stuff with that on top of it, it, it was just, it caught me at the end. I just thought it was, it was fun. That's all. You know, David, you need to reach out to that guy, especially with your working knowledge of the CRT. See, a lot of guys do like textbook, you know, knowledge, but you've got a working knowledge of CRT. Well, so no, like I said, the guy, the guy has a background, a very in-depth background in, in ground fighting, jujitsu of whatnot. So I'm sure he's, He's quite versed in it. And then the instructors at this um, Carotid Restraint Training Institute, I mean, they they are very technical instructors on how to do it properly under the circumstances, body position, elbow position, neck position, the whole nine yards. It was it, it was it was cool. They don't they don't need me for that. that they don't need me for, for any of that sort of stuff. But David, my question to you, David, is that have they caused three days of writing and nationwide news because of using the CRT? No, no, it, it's not that. They're, they're, <laughs> see, you're such a. <laughs> um, it, it's not that it, they are. They are putting. They put things in place, allegedly, supposedly, according to their site, that keep agencies from getting into those positions while still utilizing a very, um, a very good and useful technique. Um, it, it was just, like I said, it was just uh, like, I, I, I read all that stuff. It's just kind of cool. That's all. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Dave. We got about a minute left and, uh, captain Brett, you're up. Well, this, these guys, I I don't know, I'm sure they're good instructors, but I thought it was interesting. Look at their Facebook page and their challenge coin as a picture of a cop with the, with the eight point hat reaching around and giving a guy karate restraint. So while David calls three days right, I bet if you bought a, a gross of these coins and started to hand them out the next BLM, right, I bet you'd have probably the same thing going on. Wow. See, can, can, you imagine, can you imagine having that challenge coin in your pocket and, and pulling that thing out <laughs> down at, at TPD or any place else? They'd have a coronary. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. Oh, I saw the coin, too. That was just cool. It was cool. Wow. 
All right, guys. Well, look, we're going to take another commercial break. And uh, we're going to be back in just a few seconds. And, uh, yeah, we will retire that conversation. we got a video coming up. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Hey, I want to take a few minutes here and tell you guys about our radio audience. Now, we are on the Boss Hog Radio Network, so I'm just going to tell you briefly where we're at. So we are east of Tampa, Florida, and that's in Bushnell, Lakeland, Plant City area, Winter Haven, and Avon Park. So we love our Boss Hog Radio Network listeners. So that is on 4 a.m.s and an FM. Now, our new acquisition, we are syndicated through WBCF, they have an AM and an FM station in Florence, Alabama. And like I said earlier, they're carrying the first hour of our show. So they're not gonna be hearing me talking about them, but uh, we are in Florence, Alabama. And I think I hinted that we got some other news coming out um, as well. We're about to go on cable TV, and we are going to be on Roku. And I know we were on previously on Roku. That didn't work out, but we're back on Roku coming up and also on the Fire Stick. So be listening for that information. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Guys, if there's no more comments on the last topic, then we'll go to our next video. Well, we have producer Will. Go ahead, Will. Uh, Michael MVS just donated. Ah, you got to love that guy. Thank you, Michael. And uh, I reached out to him. He needs to give me a call this week, so I gave him my number. So, But thanks for supporting the show, you and Eddie Leo. We really appreciate it. Guys, on uh, policeone.com, there's a video associated with this. New Jersey man slashes an officer with a knife it's um it's not the easy these are never the easy easy to watch i i don't think not for me and i know for most people on the show they're not uh but we're in new jersey officials released this video and audio um thursday of a violent encounter that happened last month between a man experiencing experiencing an apparent mental crisis and the Clifton police were out there as well as a county SWAT team. So Antoine Whitlock, 35 years old, he allegedly slashed an officer with a knife and this happened late in December. Now he was uh, hit with a taser, stabs himself in the chest. All this is on video. And although he was not hit when the officers fired at him and, and Brett, how in the world this guy was not hit running down a narrow corridor with two two officers unloading their firearms, their semi-automatics at him, I have no idea. But he, he's in the hospital, or remains in the hospital, but I think, that, I think that's from the self-inflicted stab wound. So early, on, uh, early in the morning on December the 27th, so two days after Christmas, officers arrive at where else but the Howard Johnson Inn. They're responding to a 911 call from Whitlock, you know, the bad guy. So in the audio recording, Whitlock tells the dispatcher that he's at the Howard Johnson. Um, other information is hard to hear. 
bad connection and they're bleeping out some of his answers. He tells the dispatcher that he needs an ambulance. He's experiencing some form of attack, but it's not a heart attack. So a little more than 90 seconds into the call, the dispatcher dispatcher asks him if he has trouble breathing. He grunts, stops talking, and then the line goes dead. So the dispatcher calls the hotel says that she's sending out an ambulance. So two Clifton police officers, though, show up about 520 in the morning. So it's early. It's a fourth floor room where Whitlock is staying. So it's a fourth floor room. Like I said, there's a narrow cor corridor, a hallway, you know, you know, doors on both sides. So another officer and EMTs from the local fire department, they also show up. So a surveillance camera is where we're at now. It's in the hallway. It shows three cops talking through what appears to be a closed door. The officers eventually force the door open, and then they back up as Whitlock, our bad guy, leans his head into the hallway. So Whitlock's left hand, it's, it's holding something shiny. The two officers draw their guns, or, or two of the officers draw the guns. I didn't like the arrangement of the officers, as I'm sure David will, will cover. Um, so the cops, uh, they're talking to him for about a minute, and then all of a sudden he's got, the bad guy's got two knives. So one of the officers um, holsters his gun, steps forward, and he sprays Whitlock in the face with OC pepper spray. So Whitlock sprints away. He runs away from the two officers on one side of the hallway. And as he's running by the third officer, who's, you know, on the other side of the hallway, he sticks out his right arm, and I guess he slashes the guy um, open with a knife. And so the officer immediately drops to the carpet. And he's clutching his face. So Clifton officers, Kevin uh, Burdnick and Sergeant David Rowe, they draw nine millimeter guns and they start firing. And I mean, you can see the guns discharging like crazy. This guy's running down near a hallway, never goes down. So although the f official said that Whitlock was not shot, so he disappears at the end of the hallway. Now you've got the injured officer you know, that's crawling. I don't think that his partners knew that he, I think they thought that it was just exposure to the OC spray. I don't think that they figured out for a while that he was actually cut. So anyhow, they eventually rushed to his side. Uh, there's medical treatment going on. So as soon after this goes down, a different camera captures our bad guy wandering down a hallway. He's alone and he swinging his arm, rubbing his eyes and appears to be talking to himself before vanishing through a door. Then an hour passes by. So he's still in this place with all these people. He reappears uh, through the same door, stops at the edge of a hallway, and he's waiting. He has two knives visible in one hand. So he paces back and forth several minutes uh, on the carpet, places the tip of the of the of one of the knives against his heart, and then at, finally at 7.06 a.m., a, a uh, county SWAT team shows up around the corner, and uh, there's like 10 officers that are there. They have helmets and body armor. So what's he do? He waves his hands in the air. He doesn't say anything. SWAT officer Joseph DeGroote fires a taser at him for uh, about two minutes later. So Whitlock falls to the ground, rolls on his back, and lifts one of the knives up, and he stabs himself in the chest. You see the SWAT guys trying to pull his hand away, and I think he gets another stab in before they pin him and stuff, and that's the way that kind of goes down. So um, he's still in the hospital. Um Wow. Chief Newman, why don't you take this? We got over five minutes. You know, first of all, to Brett's point earlier, the, those two officers are shoulders facing the guy. He's running through the narrow hallway, uh, you know, and they and they, it says in the article that they didn't hit him at all. And I'm like, I mean, you couldn't have, it's with such a controlled environment. I think you're right, Chip. I don't think they realize he got stabbed. But, you know, when you're, you're going to apply gas to a situation, two things are going to happen. The, the person is going to give up or they're gonna escape. And he escaped away from the gas, which was toward the police officer. I'm not sure how coordinated that was. It, you know, it obviously didn't look good. I'm very familiar with this area. You spent many a year or summer 
in Hawthorne and Patterson, New Jersey, and Clifton. It's up in Passaic County. I know exactly where this location is. Eh, not the greatest location. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm being real nice. Uh, having spent an evening in the Patterson holding uh, facility when I was 17, waiting for my father to pick me up, I can tell you I spent some time up there. But, you know, I, I, I don't think the officers realize that he got cut. Um, and I also know someone on this panel is going to say, where were those mental health counselors? But I'll leave that to Dave or Brett. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead, hey, uh, Ron. I'm the opposite. I think they, I, I think they did know he got cut because they unloaded their magazines. I think if they thought he just got pushed or or, or was uh, or had the um, the effects of the gas, they wouldn't have unloaded their magazines for just because he was running away. I mean, I think they're just sorry, piss poor shooters who need to go to Brett's school of how to shoot a gun. I mean, oh. that was terrible. That was atrocious. You're in a shotgun alley. I mean, you can't get any more narrower than that. And I couldn't believe when they said no one hit him, nothing. Come on, that was atrocious. Wow. All right, Captain. Thank you, Major. I'm revising my numbers. This incident, they missed 100 percent of the time, not 75 percent of the time. And really, it, it couldn't have got much better. That's that, you know the only problem. It, it, he's getting to be a smaller target. If he was moving left or right, you know, there's some problem tracking. But he was just he was still there, just getting smaller and smaller, and not that much smaller. I'm just amazed they actually actually did miss. Now, on another note, because you cut me off last time, the carotid restraint institute their website says uh we're not teaching teaching the carotid restraint anymore pending uh, uh california legislative changes ah wow not aware of that thank you thank you captain all right guys wow. excellent content david go ahead well no, then in that case the, they need to move to a state like i don't know texas and teach it there um you, you know john was 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 so nice when he talked about this area being the the home of the keystone cops and 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 ron ron started down that road but my god what piss poor technique but what piss poor tactics even even and and i hate to go down this road but even the swat team looked a little bit even the trt or the, the tactical response team swat team whatever they're called there even they looked like they didn't know what to do in this narrow hallway it was they all had to crowd around get real close and and then stand like what do we it the whole thing was just bad from start to finish. Um, to be on, to, to put yourselves put, to put yourself in that kind of a position in a narrow hallway, the police officer steps, and now you've created your own crossfire. So they can't respond um, until he goes down. And to Ron's point, I think that's brilliant. They had to. I hope that that's what they testified to was that they knew he had a knife because if they said to to Brett. Oh, I didn't know that he got cut. I was just shooting because he was running away after I sprayed it with mace. We have a problem. <laughs> so um, all that being said, yeah, this, this whole thing from start to finish was a, was a, uh, was a key, uh, an episode of Keystone Cops. It, that was just terrible all the way around. All right. Well, thanks. Yeah, I yeah, can't argue with you. All right, guys. Uh, oh, Major, Major Ron, I don't want to cut you out. I don't want to be accused of anything, so go ahead. Yeah, get woke, brother. Uh, I was was just going to say to John, Chief John, I remember that story of why you were in that Patterson holdup, that cell with your twin brother, and I still die. I laugh and laugh, but we can't do it here, understood. But when we all go out for drinks, 
especially Mr. Martin, Brother Martin, he's new here. You got to tell that story to everyone. <laughs> wow. He's going to go there after we covered a story with some naked dude on a dance floor at a club that could have been Ron's twin brother. And he's going to, and, and Ron was out of town, not even able to do the show that day. And supposedly in Vegas, I mean, I, I just, I can't believe he went there, Chief. I, I'm just disappointed. All right. I know. For all of our Boss Hog listeners, I unfortunately do not have a video to go with that, but I'm actually doing you a favor by not having a video to go along with that. So. Anyhow, that said, look, we got a few seconds here. I'm just going to whet the appetite for the next story. And there is a video associated with this. So I'm kind of juggling the stories around a little bit because I want to get through some of these videos. Uh, but PoliceOne.com, there's a Texas um, Police Department. They release a video of a fatal officer involved shooting on a mental health call. You guys have got to see this video. We're going to break it down for you in just a second. But first, we're going to take a commercial break. At this time, I want to cover our radio and podcast. So all that information now are primarily our podcast is what we're going to be talking about. And we've got law enforcement today. Uh, they are pushing our podcast, but on our podcast formats, I mean, we've got like 10 platforms that we're doing. So we have an RSS feed. Uh, we are an anchor and anchor is probably our main staple because through Anchor, they distribute out to all the other podcast formats or platforms for us. And we are also on Breaker. We're on CastBox. We're Google Podcasts. Now, Apple iTunes. We're on Apple iTunes, which is a major accomplishment. Overcast, Pocket Cash, uh, Radio Public, and also on Spotify. And I think most of us have heard of Spotify. So you have all these options to be able to listen to our podcast. We're trying to boost up people listening while they're driving to and from work and stuff. So uh, please check us out and uh, through all those various formats and let me know what you think. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Now, in talking about this Texas PD, they released the video of the fatal officer-involved shooting on a medical health call. Let's uh, let's talk about that. The family of a Texas. Now, they always start off, and Ward always, you know, picks up on this. The family of a Texas black man, and they put black in capital letters. I mean, you know, I mean, the capital B. What's up with that? But in, anyhow, he's shot and killed by a police officer. I'm surprised he didn't say white. You know capital W for white police officer, uh, called to perform a mental health check. And they say that they that he begged the cop to put his gun away in the seconds before he discharged the firearm. So a ring doorbell footage that was released by attorney Lee Merritt shows Killian police officer Ronaldo Contreras arrives at the residence. It happens on a Sunday uh, about 5.30 in the afternoon. He's responding uh, to a call from the family of Patrick Warren Sr. That's the guy that gets shot who had been struggling uh, through what his loved ones believe was a mental health crisis. So even though the family requested help from a mental health professional who actually wouldn't have been out there earlier, instead they sent over Contreras who was not prepared to handle the psychiatric call. But remember, this is written from the family's perspective. And this is what the attorney, Merritt, is telling reporters at a press conference. So the officer appears on a ring doorbell. We're actually seeing pretty good body camera footage uh, through Police One. But there's footage that shows that our uh, the officer, actually, from my recollection, 
the guy inside having the mental crisis, he's got his left hand behind his back and not showing it. He's telling the cop to enter the home. And then he gets agitated. The cop decides to de-escalate by exiting the home and the door closes. And you hear the guy inside, you know, our, our bad guy, Patrick Warren Sr., you know, yelling and stuff, but he eventually comes out. But of course the cop is calling for backup and, you know, 10-3 the air. So, so he's got, you know, the air availability so he can let dispatch know what's going down. So anyhow, our Warren guy ends up coming outside. He's waving his hands in the air. Contreras is asking him to get on the ground. Family members, of course, are getting involved, pleading for the cop not to shoot the bad guy. And Warren ignores the officer's commands and starts walking towards him. And so there's, of course, a video and there's um, you know some editing, but the cop ends up tasing him. He goes down, but he rips the probes out, gets up, and he charges the officer and uh, the officer ends up shooting him. So Warren's struck in the chest and rushed to the hospital where he ends up dying from his wounds. The only thing I can say is I don't remember being able to see that he had a knife in his hand or anything when he was charging the officer, but he had just ripped the probes out of the taser. And of course, inside the home, he had his hand behind his back. So I just throw that information out there. So the attorney saying that Mr. Warren was not aggressive. Warren was not armed. He was in his home. He was on his lawn. He was within his rights to reject the services of law enforcement after uh, they arrived. I guess the attorney didn't notice that him being non-aggressive, he actually charged the officer. So the killing police department in a statement said that Contreras, the cop, five-year department veteran, responded to the home, encountered emotionally distressed man, and it says that he did the taser thing on him, uh, but it turned lethal. It turned uh, that that this force was not effective, and so then, of course, went lethal. So what happened? Curious what you guys think. We've got over six minutes left. Uh, John, you want to start us off? Yeah, you know, this is an example of, hey, we've done everything that you, you know, folks yelling about police reform and the use of force is all about, right? He stepped outside to de-escalate. He called for backup. Um, the guy was, the, you know, the, the, the decedent is the pursuer in this case. You know, he's out there. He doesn't re-engage the guy. The guy comes back out. Some of the, in my opinion, watching the video, which I don't want to be a hypocrite. Sure, there's a lot more than we don't see in the video. But the family has some responsibility here, maybe helping or even tackling the old man before he comes out. But, you know, we de-escalated. We left the scene. The officer has his camera on. So all those different things that they have put into place, body-worn cameras, de-escalation, let's wait for a backup, tasers, less than lethal, they all failed. Why? Because the guy had a serious mental health issue and he saw the police officer for some reason as a threat and he was going to attack him. So this is one of those examples that really we went all the way up that continuum and through all the reform movements that they've been asking about all summer long when it comes to mental health and use of force and we still had an officer involved shooting. So I think that's why a lot of folks will probably lean in and watch this case because it does all the things that folks wanted us to do. But in the end, we had an officer involved shooting with a mental health patient. Thank you, Chief. Captain Bartlett. It says, even though the family requested the help of mental health professional authorities and sent over the police, it was, I don't know who's, who this is kind of not prepared to handle the psychiatry, the, the call. And they're yelling at them, don't use the gun. You know my responsibility? Well, how about you come out and grab this guy then? This is your guy. I won't shoot him. If you'll get out of your do safe doorway and come grab your relative. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and leave. You guys got it. Thanks, Captain. All right, guys. Do we have anybody else who wants to comment on this? I've got David. Go, go ahead. We got two more things I want to cover before the end of the show. 
Yeah, you know, I, I got to say that I'm, I'm with what John's saying. I'm with what Brett's saying. What we're missing here, or what I'm missing here, is is there's got to be some other skill that a police officer has other than electronic devices. It, it's, it's unconscionable to me that if the taser doesn't work, my only, my only other okay. resort then is a firearm. There's got to be something else that you can do. <clears throat> he did everything right to begin with. You could hear the sirens coming. You knew that backup was coming. But what ever happened to, I don't know, <laughs> just getting down on the dirt with someone and fighting them? I, I just, is it in training? Is it, I mean, are they, have they been so indoctrinated with an electronic device that they have no other skill? Is that, what, is that what it's come to? Because I, I don't care if the guy's big, small, whatever, and the, the, taser, the taser doesn't work, I, I'm, I'm losing it. He doesn't have a weapon. He stood there with his hands wide open, his hands flailing. He had no weapon in his hand. And you can say, well, what if it was in his belt? No, you, you, we can't do this. At some point in time, you've got to have the ability to go hands-on with a person, regardless of their mental status, and win. And... Okay, we can argue about the CRT and they took that away, whatever, whatever. Um, but there's got to be something else than taser. Oh, taser didn't work. Therefore, it's, it's, it's nothing but lethal force. I've got a problem with that. I've got a bad problem with it. I'm I'm with you, David. I and that's why I mentioned that at one point in the in the house in the residence, he had his hand behind his back. But you know, we never saw a weapon. So um, look, I've got um, two and a half minutes left. Brett, take the floor, take it real quick, and then I, I want to cut the two more stories before we before we go. All right. So uh, we teach DT in the academy. We might teach it in service. I'm not surprised at all that police aren't comfortable going hands on because it's it's just not taught that taught that much anymore. I remember. 10 years ago, back when I was still working and around training, kids would come in and turn their, uh, turn their taser in and, and the armor said, we don't have a spare to give you. And they'd say, what do we do? And the answer is, well, go hands on. But, but they don't teach, that's one of those unconscious competent skills that, that are not taught anymore. It's not because it takes time and it takes work. And sometimes people get hurt in training. So there's a general shying away from that. All right, could be. I see legal challenge brewing then. So, and 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 David, I, we're out of time here. So let me just go real quick, just so Will can put this up on legalfearers.com. Naked subway shover is electrocuted by a third rail after attacking a rider. Yeah, he's fighting with it. He throws some dude off on the tracks. Then he uh, he's trying to prevent people from saving the guy, and he and of course this guy's naked while he's fighting people. And so our bad guy, our naked bad guy, steps on the third rail, gets electrocuted, and yeah, it's like uh, I don't know, 625 volts of electricity. So this guy's you know deader than a doorknob so it, it's that's that's a a video worth watching and leoferris.com couple faces charges after filming intercourse on the myrtle beach ferris will um, i got that i got i got pictures of these guys south carolina now south carolina david they they're facing criminal charges having sex in the middle of a myrtle, myrtle beach attraction and they of course bill it for you know family friendly uh but they get charged with indecent exposure on the sky wheel and it's Eric Harmon, Lori Harmon. So they're either brother and sister or else they're married. It doesn't say. Uh, but uh, when inside the car, they were performing sex a sex act. And apparently it was made out of glass. Everybody could, could see it and stuff. And in the past, 
there's a whole history of her urinating in public and urinating on things, them having sex. And I don't know whether the urination thing came before the sex or not, but it's just kind of crazy. So um, any comments on that story, guys? We got 30 seconds. So, oh, come on. You know you want to say something. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You, you put in that story and they wouldn't let us talk about the third rail. We've I've heard the third rail is like, uh, uh, it's like a, a myth. It's one of those things you hear all about, but you never get to experience it. And yet here it is, and you cut us off. Oh, man, the, the material we could have had for that one. Well, Newman could tell you stories about being naked and the third rail, I'm sure, but, you know, we don't have enough time now, so. We're out of time. Thank you to our panelists uh, for being on the show and also to our audience, our subscriber base. So thanks, guys. We really appreciate having you all. And I also want to give a shout out to our sponsors. We have Extra Duty Solutions, Column Case Management, uh, GunLearn.com, Viridian Weapon Technologies and Guardian Alliance Technologies. We're powered by PECSIP and Boss Hog Radio Network, WBCF uh, in Alabama. Thank you, guys. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a great week.